I'm Ringo Starr. Join me this week on Saturday Night Live. This is Ringo Starr. As you know, we play drums for Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. Oh, and the Beatles. Yeah, 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 them too. Tonight he's hosting Saturday Night Live. Ringo Starr here. I'm hosting Saturday Night Live. I'm a bit nervous, but I'll get by with a little help from my friends. All you got to do is act naturally. Cindy Lauper and more on Friday Night Videos and... Hi, I'm Ringo Starr. Join me this week on Saturday Night Live! Week's when there was fab. I'm Ed Chen, and I'm Lonnie Pena. John Stone has had an issue in his family. We all wish him well. Yeah, we we certainly do. Our topic this week is 40 years old. It's Ringo Starr in 1984, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go back in time, folks. 40 years doesn't seem like that long. <laughs> 38. We're, we're not quite to 40 yet. We're we're not we're not to the point of aging us quite that much. But <laughs> I'm rounding up now. <laughs> we're a couple of years before this is the 40th. But uh, yeah, hey, yeah. maybe maybe we'll get a deluxe box edition of Ringo Starr on SNL, huh? Yeah, he's been on a few times. I guess <laughs> actually he hasn't. Never yeah. a musical guest, and this is his only appearance. You know, I've always said they should do a Beatles box set. They should, because everyone has been on except John. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, several different Beatles skits over the years that they could put together. We should start because Sting is on his way, but we all know it takes him a long way to come. I mean, forever to come. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ringo. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, even though I'm not a knight. And remember, peace and love conquers all. Not a bloody dragon, Ringo! Come on! And as, as, as you talked about in the past, you know, John and Paul were almost on, possibly, <laughs> at some point. There's that, and there's, there's the question of when did that happen. But, right, uh, right. Very briefly, Paul now insists that it was the week after Lauren right. Reichel's offer, but, well... Right. There's some timelines there. For any number of reasons, that just makes no sense. Paul also remembers that when he left, John and Yoko were watching The Time Machine, the 60s Time Machine movie. And well, it's now been discovered the night that aired was right after the SNL where the offer was made. So someone is misremembering. So maybe we can uh, timestamp that into history. Everyone wants to believe Paul because Paul says, oh, oh, no, 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 it was the week after. Well, he has such a vivid memory, does he not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is true. (laughs) He likes to invent things. Yeah, well, you know what? Ask me what I was doing in 1968. It's still just a weird thing to misremember. No, 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 no. I, I was talking to John on the phone, and he was telling me about it, and then that was the next week, and I was like, Paul, that just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, we've slept since, so I'm sure he has too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um uh, so in the news, the first thing, well, Ringo has had to cancel the rest of his tour. Uh Kit said to me, "You know, this tour was kind of cursed." No, no, not again. They didn't, he just canceled the tour, right? In order 
During the first run, he had to cancel when right. his band got sick. Then he came back. He basically finished his first run. And then he started in on the second run. And he had to cancel four or five shows because he tested positive. Okay. Then he did one show. He did Seattle. And then before the Portland show, he tested positive again, And he had to call off the rest of the tour. So we are at the taping of this show. We're in the mid-October. Is canceled or postponed? They haven't reannounced dates. <laughs> Hold your ticket, right? He's basically got the whole October leg of the tour that was originally scheduled from basically the first to just about the end of October. Okay. Now, is you said he is sick or members of his band? He was certainly sick. There were two dates where he kind of said that, oh, I've got flu or something and I can't mm-hmm. sing, so I'm going to have to cancel some shows. But I've tested negative. And then, right. then on the Monday, he tested positive. He canceled five shows. Then he did Seattle on, like, the next Monday. Okay. So he tested negative. He did Seattle on the next Monday. And then uh, on the Tuesday before Portland, uh, he came out and said the following on Twitter. I'm sure you'll be as surprised as I was. I tested positive again for COVID. The rest of the tour is off. I send you peace and love. So, you know, it's a bounce back infection. Well, hopefully he's okay. Uh, and like I said, you know, take all the time he needs. And The fact that he was better enough to go and do the one show and he tested yeah. negative. Yeah. A lot of people think he probably took uh, Paxlovid. For people who are taking that antiviral drug and excited to test negative at the end of that five-day course... The increasing visibility of Paxlovid rebound shows that a negative test at the end of that course of drugs might just be a temporary reprieve, and your infectiousness might still be a live issue. That has implications for everybody taking that treatment. Definitely still gaps in our knowledge here. Oh, okay. Not that they necessarily got sick again, but the the test turns positive and they got to go isolate again for five days. Hopefully it's all preventive and he's just, you know, doing what he needs to do. I think so. I mean, he he looks good. No, the dates have not been reannounced. We know nothing about what's going to happen with this show. But as Kid O'Toole said, you know, this is the third time this tour is kind of cursed. So the other thing, since you are our co-host emeritus, you're you're the man who takes over when you can do it and we can do it. What do you think about the revolver box? I mean, we haven't had a chance to talk much about that. Oh, well, you know, I'm loving it. I love the remix. I listened to a download stream of Taxman. Yeah, we've only gotten a couple things so far. We've yeah. gotten Taxman, we've gotten Tomorrow Never Knows, and we've gotten the Anya Bird Can Sing. Both the Tomorrow Never Knows and the Anya Bird Can Sing were available on Anthology, and we know that. You know, I listened to the, the Taxman, and it was all right. I think we need more cowbell, though. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm, the cowbell, it sort of got mixed down a bit, and I compared it to the remastered, and... Uh, the cowbell is mixed down a bit in this remix. The tambourine and the cowbell were together on the one track. Okay, They yeah. pulled apart the two uh, instruments. The tambourine is now like forward left. Yeah. So, and, and the cowbell and... is like to your right. So it is very definitely slightly different in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, we're going to be talking about SNL in a bit. I'm staring here, staring at rock legend Bruce Dickinson. The cock and a walk, baby. And if Bruce Dickinson wants more cowbell, we should probably give him more cowbell. Say, baby. And Bobby, you are right. I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. And I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Guess what? I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. Thank you, Bruce. More <laughs> cowbell, people. Will Ferrell, yep. That, <laughs> that infamous, uh, or famous, actually. Yeah. After a series of staggering defeats, Blue Oyster Cult assembled in the recording studio in late 1976 for a session with famed producer Bruce Dickinson. And luckily for us, the cameras were rolling. One, two, three, four. 
in mid-October, I went ahead and uh, purchased, procured both the CD and the vinyl. So anticipating the arrival at the end of the month. Yeah, it's interesting that CDs have kind of become the less dominant format. The whole packaging seems to be driven by the vinyl these days. I guess, but you know, I heard from somewhere that CDs may be making its way back into the mainstream, possibly. I would like to think so, but still, I think they're probably making more money off of the vinyl. I'm buying it largely because I want a full-size copy of the alternate cover. I'm a vinyl person. I've been collecting vinyl for 50 years now. And uh, yeah, wherever possible, I am going to buy the vinyl. But of course, the CD is a special collection, and it's a good quality product. The only thing is you still got that damned EP. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and nobody likes it. It's okay with the vinyl. You get, we get the nice green sleeve and all yeah. of that. But as far as a CD product and as far as streaming, it's, well, I mean, streaming, it doesn't matter. But as far as a CD product, it's like, okay, what are we getting for this? We, we're getting the sleeve, and that's kind of about it. And it's a whole lot of hassle to just pull this one disc to play the mono and stereo rain and paperback writer. Yeah, and you know, I may not. I may end up not opening my CD package because I can stream it on one of the streaming channels, but I definitely will open my uh, vinyl to check out the full-size booklet and so forth. As long as you have some way to get to that book, that looks like it's going to be lots of new information, hopefully. And it was really cool to see all the full-size production booklet and et cetera albums on the Let it, on the Get Back, Let It Be package, vinyl package deal. The main reason I bought the vinyl Get Back disc was for the alternate Get Back cover. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we've had the boots of it and to have an official yeah. one. Is like, <laughs> but I don't even remember a bootlegger ever doing up a full-size copy of the alternate revolver cover. No, you know, I have a, a CD box set, full 12 by 12, of an alternate revolver cover. It was an import from 1990 or 91. Okay, so someone yeah. did it. Uh, yeah. I featured that album about with the alternate revolver on one of my TikToks. Look up my TikTok. <laughs> plug, will, plug, plug. We'll post the link later, folks. <laughs> so as far as what material we've gotten off of it so far, Taxman is the only song off the album we've gotten. But, woo, they gave us a video this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they haven't been real good about these created videos. Well, I can't say that. I mean, like that Here Comes the Sun video, that was lots of fun. Yeah, yeah. It was a little bit more animated, which was cool. And some of the Get Back stuff was also pretty well done. But certainly the animated videos have not been particularly enticing. I mean, the one the, that we like to joke about is that Come Together video. which is Right, like, right. <laughs> what exactly is going on here? It's a video game version of whatever it is. I don't know. And the same thing holds for this one. It's a lyric video, and you know that is a thing that people do these days. But to me, it just looks like something that might have been cooked up for the electric company in the you know <laughs> early to mid-70s. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to insert it. I'm going to make a fan edit of Yellow Submarine, and I'm going to stick it in there. I think it'll go just perfect, right? I like when it comes up, guitar, solo. <laughs> right on cue. And I mean, you know, it doesn't do anything. It just sort of flops around with the words guitar solo. Then when it gets to the, the break in there where, you know, Ringo goes a little bit wild, it's like uh, drums, 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 drums. Okay, uh, that I like. Yeah, I mean, I, wa I watched it once. I probably won't watch it again. Well, there's not a whole lot of reason <laughs> to watch it again. Yeah. But... <laughs> and I watched it on my phone. I don't think I'll even take the effort to watch it on my big screen TV. Well, it'll, it, you know... <laughs> <laughs> two, two, two or three years from now, you'll be playing some playlist yeah. or you know some shuffle, and it will just like come up. It'll be in the background while I'm, you know, mopping and washing and cleaning. And uh... everybody's busy these days with the washing and the cooking. <laughs> I give it a B minus <laughs> for great. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Although you know, I think it's C or C plus. It's, C plus. It's, yeah, it's adequate, but it's just uh -huh. barely adequate. Yeah, I love the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Except it needs more cowbell. More cowbell. They should have 
put clips of that somewhere in there. I guess the reason for doing an animated, there's not enough photos and footage for that time period. It could have done something Yellow Submarine-like. The bootleggers have done some really cool stuff based on uh, the Paperback Rider and Rain promos. I would not have any problem. It may be even interesting to see some of this new technology with the uh, what they did with McCartney. What's the solo video he did where it's a young... Find My Way? The, yeah. The de-aged, or, well, it's de-aged and it's deep fakes is what they call it. Yeah. They have four lads' <laughs> bodies with the deep face beetles there. Yeah, although a lot of people didn't really care for that. They thought it looked kind of weird. And... Yeah, well, it did look eerie, but still. <laughs> I mean, if they're going to go the animated route... I would actually like to see them like hire Alva Ortega. You've, you've seen that? He puts out those videos on YouTube. Okay, yeah. There is plenty of alternate stuff they could have done. This was, eh, all right. Yeah, but it's it's new. It's the latest and the greatest. And you've heard it here first, yeah. folks. Although the back in the USSR video, that was also pretty good. So, I mean, they they actually have a better track record with the live action stuff than they do with the animation. Yeah. Like you say, un yeah. Unless they just rethink that. And one way they could rethink it, they could hire Alva if he'd come to the States and do it for them. That's possibly an option. Who knows? On to our main topic. 38 years ago, Ringo hosted SNL. First off, the date is kind of unfortunate. It was December the 8th, 1984. So this was four years after John's uh, passing. Four years didn't seem like a very long span of time. But yeah, he was on. It was a different age, folks, 38 years ago. It's not close enough to be in poor taste, but it would have been better if they'd made some tribute to john or something just very briefly somewhere in there which yeah they didn't do i mean you know and the other thing is where was ringo in 1984 that was a weird time i hate to say it but you watch the show instantly the version which is available on the internet is not in the correct order the skits are all there but the orders has been shuffled oh okay okay interesting. interesting and they replaced one skit which was not one of the Ringo skits. They just replaced one skit for some unknown reason. But uh, these shows are available, though, right? Through uh, I know streaming service, you can get well, all the shows if you purchase the streaming service, like Peacock. On the paid Peacock service, you only get like forty minutes. So hmm, interesting. Okay, I'm not sure what the deal is. Okay, well, where was Ringo? What was he on to begin with? Was he promoting something? That's kind of what I wanted to bring up. He was still drinking at this point, and if you look at his eyes, you could tell that he'd had a few. <laughs> his had eye, a couple his, yeah, yeah, his eyeballs were up in his head a little bit there. It's not quite like John Davison. No, not that bad. Well, see, 84, so when was uh, Old Wave? That Old was Wave was, 80, was late 82, early 83. 83. Okay, so he wasn't there for that. That summer, the summer of 83, he did that Ringo's Yellow Submarine radio series. That's right. That was on. I remember that. He also was on TV. Princess Daisy, Ringo playing gay. Yeah, that was in 84, 83. I think it was 83. So that would be the closest to anything that he might be promoting. Yeah. But I mean, that, you know, we're talking about close to a whole year at that yeah. point. Yeah. So yeah, well, we know what Paul was doing in 84. In that time period, he was... <laughs> Ringo was in that movie in 84. Give my regards. But I don't think he's really promoting that either. No, no, he never mentioned it, obviously, if you look at the episode. By that point, Broad Street had already come and gone, although right. actually, Broad Street came out at around Thanksgiving, so maybe that yeah. was the intent. Maybe the intent was this was promotion for broad street paul was out doing interviews for it around that time uh heavy heavy interviews he was in the u.s too briefly in the in friday night videos yeah in december i remember that well. he, did, he, did, he did something with julian and they yeah. gave away that stupid car <laughs> uh, on the, friday the, night the, videos on video on friday night videos they they had okay. the they had paul they gave away one of the copies of the car that you see paul driving in in, in broad oh, street okay i may have that somewhere it may be on youtube now but it, uh, it probably I, yeah. is <laughs> so yeah you may be right 
This may have been intended as Broad Street promotion. Oh, it'll, it'll be a hit. It'll stay through Thanksgiving. It'll stay through the Christmas season. It came and went. Broad Street, that is. It was a man about McCartney in the monologue. One of his friends who flew over from London. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. <clears throat> but he was not the first Beatle to appear. We know who that was. One of the yeah. early, early SNL shows. George Harrison, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's the one. And, and then, um, of course, John and Paul didn't show up. The following to, year. The yep. following year. But then also, some years later, Paul was on. 1980? Yep. In yep. May of 1980, uh, was that Father Guido Shadushi? Father Guido, yeah. yeah. The, the koala bears. The koala bears. <laughs> they climb and eat the eucalyptus leaves. They're high all the time. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love the fact that Father Guidushi was throwing the rock up at Paul's office. And, and I've actually never seen it confirmed where Paul and Linda actually were. Okay. They had to be in New York somewhere. You, you don't think they had the satellite hookup back I, I then? I don't think they no. had the satellite hookup. And... Yeah. It probably was in the backstage there at Rockefeller Center. Yeah, either that or uh, somewhere out in the Hamptons. Well, we can use this house. This looks like a house Paul might live in. Other than that, it wasn't until Ringo's appearance on this episode we're going to talk about. That they have another Beatle show up, to my knowledge. You had Ron Nasty show up yeah. when, when Eric Idle hosted. There was a Ruddle live on SNL. Probably had various skits about the Beatles. In the 70s, you had the one where you had uh, Henry Kissinger negotiating a Beatles reunion with John and Paul. <laughs> I forgot about that one. John was John Belushi and Paul was Bill Murray. Yeah. And neither one of them looked anything like... No, far from it. Yeah, and neither of them actually said more than like two words in the whole skit. It's like, that was notable for Yoko will neither sing, speak, sit, <laughs> or be within X number of feet of the stage while the band is playing. Uh, that was in the contract. Right? Yeah, that was in the contract. I mean, you know, so, you know, it was a, a parody of the Israel-Palestine negotiations and What's the closest thing they can do to that is the two Beatles getting together. And then before we get into the show, looking up some background material. So, you know, the way SNL works is they basically start writing all their material on like uh, Monday and Tuesday. And then mm. on Wednesday, they bring the host in and they read through all the skits. Well, apparently the read through went so poorly on Wednesday that they got them to rewrite some or most of the show. Is that right? Well, either Ringo didn't like it or... Dick Ebersol didn't like it. I mean, this was also before Lauren Michaels was to return to SNL. That's right, because he returned the following year. He yeah, returned he... the following year, so this was the end of the wilderness years. Yeah. Ebersol got his writers and said, guys, we need to rewrite this whole thing. I don't know if you're going to mention the cast at the time, which was somewhat unique this year. Notably, you had Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah, she was in there. Who went on to be in... Seinfeld and whatnot, but you also had uh, John Belushi's brother. Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi was a cast member, and also what later, or maybe at the time, was the was the members of Spinal Tap. Yep. Christopher Guest, and what's the other guy? Harry? Sure. Sure, yeah. They were both in there as well. That is right. And also... A member that is is unique because he was on SNL with two different Beatles, and that would be Martin Short. There's another connection between both the skit here and the skit there, the triangle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to that. The cold open is, we have to remember at the time, the Beatles options were really a big business. They've always had this sort of appeal, I think, the Beatles, and they are the number one sort of group that are collected at auction, and that, I think, is because they were such a phenomenon at the time. People have always had a fascination with them, because also, I mean, they're, they're four very distinct, strong personalities, and um, now at auction we're seeing that there's a huge demand for anything relating to them. Yeah, it really was. They're yeah. still a big business, but the big business now is much better organized, I think. 
it's a lot more organized than, than back then. Yeah. You know, private auctions and uh, but but at the time it was you get whatever you could get and you put together you know Christie's or uh, whatever would put on an auction with like just all sorts of random Beatles stuff. Yeah, so this this was a really funny. I was not expecting this. I, I actually saw it when it happened. I watched this episode at the time it was broadcast. It was hilarious. <laughs> not knowing what was to come. <laughs> you have a couple items go by. It starts with a pick that was sold for $45,000. I think John Lennon's pick, right? I, I don't think they actually say. I think that he's just kind of holding up a pick. And Now, if you please turn to page 21 in your catalog, we now will take a look at lot 35. This is a very exciting little piece, a toothbrush used by the fabulous Paul McCartney in the recording of the album Rubber Soul. Now, as you see, it's a blue medium wristle Oral-B with one of those little pointy rubber things at the end. Yes, madam. Did Paul actually use the little rubber pointy thing? It is our understanding that he did, yes. And I looked up the bidding at $60,000. Do I hear 60? $60,000. That was kind of a running joke throughout the episode. McCartney. Yeah. It's just a credible, fabulous McCartney. <laughs> Which actually kind of makes sense if you think that Broad Street had just come out. Broad Street was a flop. Yeah. In a way, I guess that was promoting because the fact that McCartney had a movie out, regardless of if it was a flop or not. But the toothbrush. A, I don't know if uh, Oral B was sold in England in the mid 60s. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. Who knows? And I also don't know if they had those little rubber things at the end in the mid 60s. I think it was invented in England, Ed. Oh, there you go. The infamous nature of the British teeth. Yeah, and that went for big bucks. It ended up at $110,000. Yeah, that was too funny. Then the surprise. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please turn to page 22 in your catalog. Take a look at lot 36, Ringo Starr. He was for nine years the drummer with the Beatles and performed with them on all their albums and tours. And as you can see, he's in very good condition. And I, for one, would like to open the bidding at $75,000. Now, do I hear $75,000? He's not wearing his sunglasses. He's wearing a replica collarless jacket. That's right. He's dressed in, uh, as you mentioned, the 64 jacket. And Ringo is wheeled out in like a dolly or some sort of two-wheel thing. And he's in very good condition. Yes, he's in excellent condition, folks. So the joke is that nobody wants to bid on poor Ringo. I know. Poor Ringo. So while they're trying to get bids going, he's also the owner of a very large ring collection. Ring collection. His hand. <laughs> you can see his rings. And I like it. There's these elderly folks that got up and left. <laughs> there were people leaving the auction <laughs> while the bidding was going on. So. Well, or, or lack thereof. Then it comes to the question. I was wondering about the jacket he's wearing. Was it by any chance ever worn by Paul? Yeah, oh, Paul. yeah. They come in there and they. <laughs> I think that was too funny. <laughs> Do I have fifteen thousand dollars for Ringo Starr? Fifteen thousand. Good Lord, we're dealing with a human being here. <laughs> they ask, uh, "Well, can he do anything? What does he do?" <laughs> Well, he uh, plays the drums, and uh, he has a, uh, a, a very interesting ring collection. Can he talk? That had to be a Hard Day's Night reference. Oh, yeah. You know, right. Ringo and Hard right. Day's Night. You know, well, can he talk? Well, if he's your grandfather, who knows? Who knows? Live from New York, it's Saturday night! <laughs> And then you got the intro, the band playing and so forth. So I thought that was great. I remember seeing that and I just thought it was hilarious. The intro is very, very 80s uh, giant. Oh, it is. It is. Giant crickets and people sort of looking around buildings, you know, early green screen <laughs> stuff. Typical 80s. They then cut to the monologue. Ringo comes out. 
What about that outfit Ringo was wearing? Uh, you know, I initially thought when I saw it again, just prepping for the show, that it looked an ex- extra big on him. It did look a little bit big on you him. You know, like it was, I don't know. My first thought was it was stuffed. Being that it was only four years from 1980, I'm thinking he had some extra armor on, possibly. If you look at all the skits on this thing, it, he, has, he had like oversized clothes on in every one of the skits. I mean, I went to Rockefeller Center like in 90, uh, oh no, 2002, and we had to go through metal detectors. Obviously, it was post 9-11, and so... But this was in 1984. I don't even, you know, there weren't metal detectors at airports. No, no, not, not at all. I <laughs> at mean, the time. So maybe maybe there was something uh, there. I, I don't know. know. It, it's almost kind of a teddy boy outfit, you know, the, yeah, the shoes yeah. and the, yeah. the jacket, and the. but it's still like... Well, that's an interesting choice. Whether it was Ringo's choice or not, or, or whether he just went through wardrobe and said, I like that. You know, before you watch the show again, or if you haven't watched it, it's this was, I want to stress, 38 years ago. It was a different timeline, different culture. <laughs> Absolutely. There was no, no politically correctness going on <laughs> at the time. Okay. <laughs> Frank Sinatra is not a legend, but he's Italian. <laughs> I think... Of you young folks out there, <laughs> just prepare yourself. The monologue in particular, you can tell that Ringo's just a little bit nervous, but you can also tell that he's had a few. Yeah. You, you look into his eyes while he's doing the monologue. It's like, and you could tell he was reading the cue cards. You know, you, you almost have to read the cue cards. Just given the fact that we mentioned earlier, they changed everything up since the Wednesday. Of course, Ringo's not going to have oh, any idea yeah. what he's saying. He does seem to be ad-libbing a little bit. Just a little bit. He, he's, he's very affable, and he's, he actually does a pretty good job with the monologue. He's not really telling jokes, but he's he's kind of going on about how I'm a legend. Mick and Elton are big, but they're not legends. They're not legends. Being a legend is a good life, but a little secluded. We just sit around watching reruns of Star Trek. Last month, my advisor at the Legends Clinic said I should get out and meet some real people. And that's why I finally agreed to appear on Saturday Night Live on American television. And this is the way to meet 35 million people all at once. Hi. I'm going to bring out another legend, a friend of mine who just flew in from London. And if my, your first thought is, oh, wow, maybe it's McCartney. Yeah, maybe they're trying to promote something. There you go. And then out walks Billy Crystal dressed as Sammy Davis Jr. Now, what would you do? Younger people who might not remember, Sammy Davis Jr. really was a big star. Yeah, I mean, he really was. Uh, I mean, nowadays we don't think much about Sammy. No, what's the? He's part of the the Rat Pack. The Rat Pack back yeah. in the '60s with uh, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., whoever else was involved with that. They were very huge, huge star. He, he was also a very easy impersonation to do yeah yeah now cats you know yeah a lot of people impersonated him a lot of folks Uh, did if they were to try and do something like this you're not going to have billy crystal in blackface that would not happen today obviously they go into a duet which lasts a little bit too long i think yeah it really did did they mention anything about he played on abbey road nobody knows this okay besides paul george and i but Sammy worked with the Beatles, especially on Abbey Road. Right? On Abbey Road, yeah. 
And it wasn't really work, it was a labor of love, man. Because these cats were so much fun, you know, the mops, the mop tops. I loved them, you know. Oh, he's so modest, just I... like Joey Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we had just finished doing the album, Abbey Road Vocals, actually, and right. Sam had been helping Paul with the vocals, right? Right, yeah. Because he has a lot of trouble, none of you know that, but Paul has a lot of trouble with his pitch. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> he can't hear good, you know. And what happened? Well, I, first of all, I laid in a lot of Paul's vocals for him. A lot of you don't know that. You That's know. true. He's given all the secrets away tonight. Well, you know, it's live, babe. You know, I know. that. From New York. <laughs> anyway, okay. the boys were doing the album cover of Abbey Road, you know, in the street and that whole gig, you know. And something didn't look kosher to me. So Mr. Starkey said, Sam, talk to Paul. So I called Paul over and I said, Buttons, come here. You know, they don't know that either. I love this cat, man. And so the album cover didn't look good. I looked at Paul and I said, you know what, on the next shot, take your shoes and socks off. And it just cooked. It was me, you know. He did it. They were kind of jabbing at Paul a little bit. That was too funny. Who says, somebody said, what's Paul up to these days? Oh, he's, you know he's married now. He's got 18 yeah. kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ringo answers back. I called him up with the last one and said, are you Catholic? That's, yeah. <laughs> Which, you might be able to get away with that, but... Uh, well, <laughs> you get them going back and forth on Sammy Davis Jr. songs and on Beatles songs uh, and photograph. What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song mm -hmm. And I'll try not to sing out a key oh. We get, get by with a little help from our friends yeah. We're gonna try with a little help from our friends Do you need anybody? I just want someone to love yeah. I want somebody to love What kind of fool am I <laughs> Who never fell in love Eat your heart out, Newly It seems like I'm the only one That I've been thinking of mm -hmm. I gotta be me I gotta be me Find the light, sell it, babe This is so, so tasty, babe. I know. And every time I see your face, it reminds me of the places we used to go. Like the stuff we did with the Maharishi, you know? All I've got is a photograph, yeah. and I realize yeah. you're not coming back anymore. We all live in a yellow submarine. A yellow submarine. A yellow submarine. Wow. You know what, Sammy? Mm -hmm. You are the walrus. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been one of the great things in my life, babe, you know. Yeah, I, I got to get on the Concord and get back to London. I got another show to do tonight. Well, you know. I'd just like to thank you for flying all this way. Hey, I love Being you, Mr. Starkey. Being such a good, kind, dear friend to me. Hey, I love you, babe. You know yeah, that. I know that, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. I get by with a little help from my friend. That's me, Ben. I got high with a little help from his friend. <laughs> we get by with a little help from our friend. With a little help from our friend. So that was that was all right. And, you know, I'm really surprised. Now, obviously, Ringo wasn't promoting an album, but he wasn't the musical guest. Especially considering, you know, like last night from where we were, they had Megan the Stallion, who was both the host and musical guest. And it's like, you know, they went through so much trouble to get Ringo. They could have 
made their writing load a little bit lighter by giving him three songs. At least, you know, but I guess that was the deal with this skit. (laughs) That's pretty much the opening monologue, I think, for the most part. It is kind of funny to hear Ringo declare himself a legend while, you know, Mick and Elton are not. They're they're big, but they're not legends. Yeah, but they're not legends. And and then the other thing is, so not only is Billy Crystal in blackface as Sammy Davis Jr., he's burning a cigarette through the whole skit. That's right. He doesn't smoke it, but he in his right hand, <laughs> he has a lit cigarette, which is burning through this whole duet. Some incredible stuff there, folks. So while they were rehearsing this skit, they also introduced the promos. There were about five or six promos, and you can see them. I mean, you know. The typical SNL promos. I'm Ringo Starr, and I'm hosting Saturday Night Live this week. And you, know, yeah, those are also on YouTube, and uh, you can see just a little bit of what they came between. Like there was a Knight Rider commercial on uh, on the side of one of them, which was gives you some context about when we're talking about. Yeah, there's some uh, other promos for some shows that probably only ran like two episodes yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) you'll never know who they are or the actors actors are so the the copy on archive as mentioned goes off into some of the skits which actually came later in the show the next skit was uh well why why don't we do the next skit since we'll have a string of non-ringo skits after this ed grimley was a character who I never quite got Ed Grimley, to be honest with you. Which skit was this? The bus stop skit. Oh, okay. Ringo is the unlucky guy. That was yeah. actually the the first skit. I mean, you're you're not going to go for whatever reason on the the copy on the internet. They've shuffled the order. Of they the did. Skits. Okay, so that was the one with Martin Short. That was the one with Martin Short, and and he's, he's playing his his character Ed Grimley. Ed Grimley, little kind of a weasel looking guy. This is definitely one of the skits which they would have replaced something else with, because I mean Ed Grimley was a known character. Oh, okay. You know, a recurring okay. character at the time. The audience knew who Ed Grimley was. Okay. And they're actually even reusing a set from a couple weeks ago. Okay, so it was they were at a bus stop. Ringo was. With like a trench coat of some sort setting there, waiting for the bus to come, I guess. He's wearing a hat, and he is very clearly pretending to read a book. Yeah, and it was a little adverse weather approaching. Ed Grimley comes up now. The thing about Ed Grimley, Ed Grimley spent all the his of his time as a character learning to play the triangle. And he's always talking about doing triangle lessons. Yeah. <laughs> My triangle lesson was about 20 minutes ago. And like Mr. Maldane, my teacher, he goes completely mental when you're tardy. It's just so scary. The funny thing about that is years later when Martin Short would be hosting and Paul was the musical guest, they were auditioning for a holiday pageant. Yeah, I think that was 2012, right? 2013? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, just a few years ago. Well, I mean, it's, it's it's coming up on the point when we <laughs> actually started this show. Yeah, 10 years ago, folks. Yeah, not quite, but because when we first started this show was when that string of McCartney Christmas shows, you know, like four or five years where Paul actually showed up and at least did something in the Christmas show. On yeah. The point being that uh, that skit was uh, about them auditioning and Martin Short is like, no, you cannot sing, he keeps saying to Paul McCartney. We are not a singing duo. I'm the singer, and Monty plays the triangle. Yeah, he was literally screaming at Paul. And then it led into Wonderful Christmas Time. But So the triangle is the connection back to Ed Grimley here with Ringo Starr. Who is not holding a triangle, by the way. Martin Short has a triangle, and he lays it down next to him. Okay, that's right. He picks it back up at the end. That's how they get to the end. Uh, Ringo's very deadpan. I'm just a very unlucky man. I do like Martin Short's off doing his Ed Grimley thing, and Ringo just side-eyes him, and it's like, he's not drunk there. He's clearly going, what the hell have I gotten myself into? (laughs) He has very, very limited dialogue during the skit. I remember him not really saying much. The point of the skit... Ringo's the unlucky guy. He keeps getting hit by lightning. And I uh, love that effect. It, it, it's, it's a, such a 1980s effect. It really is. It's like, it's what do you call a superimpose, which is yeah, exactly. before any kind of CGI was ever invented. 
<laughs> no real special effects. And Martin Short there is Ed Grimley is like, oh. And Ringo's like, no, I don't even notice it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> there is one actually really funny bit. This gets not bad. There's some other ones which are kind of questionable and humor-wise, but there's one bit that I like a whole lot. Ed Grimley is like, here, I'm going to offer you some of my soup to comfort you. And then he picks it up. <laughs> it's ice cold. You can't drink it like this. And <laughs> right. <laughs> he hands it to Ringo. Ringo gets hit by lightning again. Here you go. It gets struck a number of times. Oh. Wasn't there a song that Ringo, one of his albums in that time period, Can't Fight Lightning? That would have not been released yet. Yeah. I mean, he'd recorded it for Stop and Smell the Roses. That wasn't released at the time, though. But it wasn't right? released okay, at the time. Okay. It came okay. out with the Greatest Hits album. That's right. That is an interesting superposition to make here. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the end of the skit was Ed Grimley says, well, you know, I've had this lucky coin and it's always been great for me. Maybe it'll help you. He, he hands it to Ringo. The sky's clear. Ringo says... Well, suddenly it's so lovely, I think I'll go for a walk. Would you care to join me? Oh, I'd love to, because at this point my triangle lesson is completely finished. So there's no real reason to stick around. A walk is very pleasurable. And a... Whoa! I almost forgot my triangle. I was afraid that it would be stolen. You hear the screeching of tires, breaking tires, and you get hit. He's hit by a vehicle, and and you see this dummy crossing the screen. <laughs> that was about as good as they could do with special effects at the time. <laughs> yeah, so you had to be there, folks. Hey, you might as well take it back. It doesn't work for me. It's just I'm a, an unlucky man. Well, I would have to say you are a lucky man, I must say. Very unlucky. Well, why don't you just take my arm and we'll go slowly. Walk where I walk. <laughs> so this was then followed by a number of skits which Ringo is not part of. We'll just go over them real briefly. Willie and Frankie, they ran that right. skit a lot. That was the uh, construction workers. Ow! What's the matter? I have a very sharp latch on my lunchbox here, and every time I reach it, the <laughs> latch goes underneath my nail. Look at that. I hate when that happens. Oh, boy. <laughs> you want to talk about pain? You know, the other night, I go home, you know, and I go into the bathroom, uh -huh. and I get one of them... Uh... Gillette Good News razors? Right. Uh-huh. And I pull down my pants, you know, and I start shaving my hiney. Yeah. <laughs> Before you know it, I got all these nicks, you know? So I go into the kitchen, I just squat in a bowl of gin. <laughs> boy. That really stung, Willie. That hurt a lot. I hate that. Yeah. This happens, and oh well, that's painful. And then you know something else, which was even more painful, and so on. Yeah, so that was a running thing at the time. We used to talk about that at work, you know, the next day <laughs> at at the Xerox machine, right? <laughs> I hate when that happens. I hate when I get my hand stuck in the Xerox machine. And yeah, we, exactly. Yeah, we, I was in my mid twenties at the time, folks. Well, as a safety engineer, you know. That was before I got into safety, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was in video production specialist at a major uh, oil tool company, and uh, that was a funny thing. But, yeah, that was the next skit. I hate when this yeah, happens. It's one that doesn't age all that well. Yeah, you don't hear about it any longer. Followed by a fake commercial, which they'd actually pulled back from a couple of years previous. This has actually aged really well. The Texan oil. Oh, oh yeah. Do what we say and nobody gets hurt. The funny thing about that is you can still do exactly the same thing because they're still doing exactly the same types of public service commercials. Yeah, absolutely. Look at how great we are. Look at what we do for the community. And it's like, buy our product or nobody gets hurt. Buy our product I or else. Now, the next one in the order that it's on here was actually later in the show. Strictly Blackwell. Brad Hall is a Chippendales dancer, which was like, okay. Uh, a skit about uh, Blackwell, who was the fashion designer at the time. And yeah. it's another one which just hasn't aged all that well. Uh, was that the one with Harry Shearer's talk show? No. Yeah. The whole point is the impersonation of Blackwell and uh, well, gay humor, which is, again, something you 
wouldn't get away with in that fashion today. Yeah. You know, you okay. could do gay jokes, but not quite like they were doing it there. Yeah. Then we're back into Ringo. The one skit that everybody remembers from this show, Fernando's Hideaway. Oh, Fernando. That's right. He was a suave guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was kind of a uh, parody of those talk shows where people would just come on and, and say really nice things about their guests. Yeah. Compliment them. And, and as we spoke about and when we talked about what eventually came out on the All Things Must Pass box, one of George's demos ends with a, a little tribute to Fernando's Hideaway years before it started. And no one cares how late it gets. Not at Fernando's Hideaway. Only. At the end of one of the demos, you know, he, he just plays a little guitar riff and he says, you know, we're going to Fernando's Hideaway. And it's like, what are you singing about, George? But nonetheless, it ties this all together. Yeah. The joke in this skit is, you know, Fernando's here, but Fernando keeps turning away from Ringo to talk to Barbara Bach. Yeah, he's like in between the two. Ringo's on one side and then there's Fernando and on his other side is Barbara. And they're at a uh, probably a very famous restaurant, maybe in New York. His attention is clearly not on Ringo. The catchphrase was, you look marvelous. There are a couple lines that I liked in there. When he first introduces them. He is the one with the beard, not Yasser Arafat. I'll tell you that right now. It's up close. It's almost frightening. That's the joke about Ringo looks like Yasser Arafat. That was the joke back in the 80s. He was on the news quite a bit. Fernando goes back and forth. He's asking Ringo very odd little questions like how do you hook up a vcr <laughs> I, I you know i keep doing that I, everybody in television i'm you know last night i wanted to watch a jeff chandler movie he looks marvelous and star search was on at the same time there's so many talented young kids on that show tell you that i crazy go nuts oh that was weird <laughs> and they go into some detail yeah you put the antenna into the machine and then you put the other cable from the machine into the tv Ringo, may I call you Ring, Ringy, what do you like? Ringo, I'll do that. It must be very difficult to you to live with a marvelous beauty. You look marvelous, darling. It must be very hard for you to live with her, getting all the attention you kind of shoved off in the corner. Do you feel like Mr. Bach a lot? Mm, sometimes, but it's something you have to get used to. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was kind of weird. There's a line in there where he asks Ringo, what do you like best? Do you, do you like music or do you like movies or do you like doing TV? And Ringo answers, doing TV, which I thought that was kind of an odd bit of reality in there. Or is he just saying this because he's on SNL? Yeah, probably. But, uh, and again, Ringo is dressed up in an interesting suit. Yeah, a $10 million coat. <laughs> Fernando goes to him and says, you know, that Beatle thing, that really took off, didn't it? Are you still getting residuals from that? And then Ringo's answer, well, see the suit? That's one residual. That, that's one residual. <laughs> and how do you pronounce your last name? Because it has two R's in it. I want to say Ringo Starrer. Starrer, yeah. That's <laughs> where. And, and he was also, again, it gets back to this. He was focused on Barbara. And he was asking Ringo, I mean, you, how do you keep in good shape? And that was the, the uncomfortable part of the conversation, right? <laughs> Best line of the whole thing. Yeah. You know, the only way to keep in shape and form like this is great sex. And, and so <laughs> yeah. Fernando then looks over at Ringo and he would have high-fived him if this were today. Yeah. The VCR chat makes mention of Star Search, which is something that's at least slightly beloved to us. Yeah. Which doesn't exist, but it was... doesn't exist anymore. Well, I mean, Ed McMahon is no longer with us. Yeah. And... But we do have some friends who actually made it all the way to the finals in Star Search. There's kind of no end to this skit. It's just like, oh, well, the show's over with. Yeah, he did make a reference on it. Uh, he said, I got to tell you, my kids still play the Dr. Pepper album. They love that album. <laughs> we will see you, my friends, next week when my guests will be Sting and Hal Linden. Till then, it is better to look good than to feel good night, my friends, and you look mouth. And now, here's tonight's special musical guest, Herbie Hancock and the Rocket Band. 
two instrumental performances. You know, you got to be familiar with what was going on at the time, but there it was. A lot of synthesizer funk type of music, which is really cool. The 80s, you have a guy playing guitar. Yeah, but if you're not familiar with Herbie Hancock, you know, he'd been around for 20 years before that. Oh, absolutely. And he, he was one of Ringo's friends. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe that Ringo just didn't want to do music. Uh, maybe not. He had no new songs and he didn't want to go play Beatles songs. There. Uh, he had to put together a band. Although Joe Walsh did play on a, a wave, did he not? In my car. Anyway, followed by another fake commercial for Massacre on 34th Street, which I noticed only because this... Winter, there is a film coming out by the name of Violent Night. You could use this fake commercial for this real movie. I thought about that when I saw that. I say, isn't that a movie today? The Santa is a Terminator type of guy. And it was Jim Belushi, right? In the fake commercial, it was Jim Belushi. And that was during probably the time when the first Terminator came out, maybe. 38 years, things change. <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> Better graphics now. <laughs> <laughs> the next to the last skit, the internet version of it, we find out what happened after Ringo got purchased <laughs> from the auction. Yeah, we find out who actually purchased Ringo. Suburban couples. It's somewhere cold and it's somewhere that's not Milwaukee. Right. The first thing we get in this skit, we learn that he was sold at the art sale, and then but he ran away from the. But he ran away from the people who bought him. And he was trying to make his way back home. We learned that they had paid eight hundred dollars for Ringo at the auction. <laughs> what a deal! With the line being, "At least you could have bought Paul's toothbrush. We could have used that around the house." <laughs> yeah. All yeah. he does is, is sit at the end of the couch, popping those damn plastic bubbles and watching TV. Yeah, and that was Jim Belushi, by the way. He was the dad, yeah. sort of. He was, yeah, he was the dad. Yeah. It's uh, kind of sort of a family sitcom trope. He does not care for Ringo for at Ringo, all. No. And he seems to be wearing Eddie Murphy's Mr. Robinson sweater. <laughs> well, it was a limited budget back then, you know. There was a knock on the door. I'm home. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Hello, Mr. Murphy. I forgive you. Can I come in? Oh, of course you oh, can, come dear. On, oh, come sit down. Oh, away from Milwaukee. Oh, yes, and you're, you're absolutely freezing. I'm going to get you a blanket. Oh, thank, you. thank you, Mrs. Richards. Oh, Mr. Richards, could I have my plastic bubble wrap, please? It's basically Ringo as the lost dog. Right, he's wearing his collarless suit. I thought that was funny. They had him sit down in the sofa. and Everything that Jim Belushi complains about, he... He sits on the sofa. He asks for his, his plastic bubble wrap. He starts popping the bubbles. I mean, he asks for the remote. For the but remote. He, but what and did so he call he, it? He called it something else. Oh, if it's not too much, my channel changer, please. Jim Belushi, the father in the skit, was not caring for that at all. There's a nice line in there. Again, the Ringo is dog thing. And I guess kind of the Ringo is big nose thing. So you found your way home, huh? Yes, well, actually, Mr. Richards, I followed your scent, not your wife's. It was much easier. <laughs> what a sweet thing to say. What's Ringo's favorite show on TV he was watching? <laughs> the Jeffersons. The Jeffersons. Oh, wait a minute, my show's starting. Great. Come on, Mr. Richard. Come on, Kathy Richards? Yes. Hello, I'm Rebecca Sturgeon. I'm the curator of the Golden Nugget Beetle Museum in Atlantic City. I understand you have an original beetle here. Yes, we have Ringo, the lovable one. Little singing skit just for a few seconds on the Jefferson. Yeah, he, and so Jim Belushi's character then says, another octopus's garden joke. Can't you at least write another song? Octopuses have other things in gardens, you know. Why don't you write about those little <laughs> suction things on their legs? Which I thought was, was funny. Yeah. A lot of jabs on poor old Ringo. Julia Louis-Dreyfus knocks on the door. They're willing to buy Ringo for a sum that will keep them comfortable for the rest of their lives. $1,700. <laughs> it seemed like a very low offer. It's $1,700 <laughs> because that's the cost of two new Lazy Boy recliners. That's right. The wife is not willing to sell, uh, but Jim Belushi is like, let's talk about it. 
Yeah, well, they said Ringo and the wife go off somewhere else. And then as Jim Belushi was letting Julia Louise Dreyfus out the door, it's like, let's talk about this, okay? Yeah, and then, then he comes back and, and acts all nice to Ringo. Ringo asks for Peach Melba. There has to be some story behind that. Yeah, no, I don't know. Uh, but as the skit ends, moving on up, comes back on. You know, that's like five minutes. Peach Melba, please. Peach Melba, yeah. <laughs> The Jeffersons must have been a really short episode. They had a five-minute-long theme. and Must be. I know it was happening at the time. The final skit of the night is a Bridge on the River Kwai skit. Not sure what to think of this. Yeah, it was definitely not politically correct. You have Billy no. Crystal this time doing a mock Asian. Good morning, Major Hunter. Good morning, Colonel Osaka. Have you given more thought to my proposal? I'll never marry you. <laughs> not the marriage thing that's in the past. I'm talking about the bridge over the river. Oh, that again? Silence! E. Yeah. And Mock Japanese there. Ringo is the second British soldier. Yeah, they were POWs. It's slightly a Bridge on the River Kwai yeah. parody, which of course is kind of funny because we all know the story about George Martin and the goons doing Bridge on the River Y just shortly before uh, Love Me Do. He and the goons yeah. did their own Bridge on the River Kwai skit, and the owners of the copyright forced them to change it, so... George Martin had to go in and chop off all the K's. So the record came out as Bridge on the River Y. Why? <laughs> they actually never say the River Kwai in this skit either, to think of it. No, no, they don't. They just say a bridge. Ringo's basically doing what John Lennon did in How I Won the War. Yes, sir, no, sir. Yeah, he didn't have too much dialogue. You must understand my position. If the bridge is not finished in one week, I will have to kill myself. That's what you said about the marriage proposal. <laughs> Shut up, I don't know. The Geneva Convention specifically prohibits prisoners of war from performing slave labor. We simply won't build your damn bridge. You won't? Uh, well, good. I'm glad. Guards, bring out the champagne and candy apples. Uh, oh, no, I don't understand. They, they refused. I am using reverse psychology. <laughs> On second thought, Sergeant, the men might enjoy a little handiwork. Wait, I'm lost. Do you really want to build a bridge? Don't worry, Sergeant. I have a degree in reverse psychology. They were both using reverse psychologies on each other. So Billy Crystal's character keeps offering them things like champagne, candy apples, balloons. Pina coladas all around. You won't mind being sent to the bordello, and, and then these geishas come out. Yeah. Suppose I just sent you back to your barracks with the hookers and the candy apples. And suppose we refuse to eat them, eh, Tojo? <laughs> well, that's the way you feel about it. Beat it, and take all your men with you. What? You heard me. Out of this camp. This is outrageous. Beat it, both of you. You'll hang for this, Osaka. Fire! Yeah, even to the point where he was going to let them free, because they were POWs. Don't worry. They'll be back. <laughs> as far as this, okay, Ringo's in it. Watch it because Ringo's in it. Otherwise, eh, it's not all that funny. Time to press fast forward. <laughs> It's not that long either. It's, you know, maybe five minutes, six minutes. It closes with the good nights, and you see Ringo and, and the cast. and They're all that happy time ending there with everybody on stage. And that was the end of it. Ringo would not appear again. Paul's such good buddies with Lauren Michaels these days. I kind of want wish that Paul and Ringo would do an SNL together. Yeah, why not? Paul wants to do comedy, and Ringo is certainly willing to do comedy. Paul has been on subsequently. Although he's never hosted. He's been musical guest several times, and he's done skits when he's been the musical guest. He, he's done a whole show worth of skits from 1979 to, you know, a couple of years ago. Well, you never know. 
We shall see. That particular year and the cast that was on SNL, it wasn't the greatest cast, you know, although they have some very interesting folks who went on to be very successful, obviously. Other than Ringo, fast forward. And once again, it's a moment in time. It's a time capsule of what, you know, existed 38 years ago in the culture and so forth. For us who actually remember it, it brings back up some fond memories, like you say. Yeah. You can't can't quite... uh repeat the that moment when Ringo gets wheeled on not because it's funny but it, just because uh, it was like wow that's really kind of cool yeah if I look hard yeah. enough Ed I can find the tape I recorded the show on <laughs> I still have my my tapes I'm you want to come pick them up come and pick well, them you, up you'd offer them to me but I <laughs> they you know I have a lot of luggage Ed come on <laughs> over buddy come <laughs> I think we had more fun talking about the show than actually watching it. Definitely. We should do a commentary just on us talking about it. You know, oh, we're going to do that. That's right. Next week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Very good, y'all. Have fun. We will be back next week with something. Be safe, folks. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. It's been fabulous. Special musical guest Robert Plant and the Honey Drippers. Hmm, Eddie Murphy. That name sounds familiar. Didn't he used to be with Led Zeppelin? This is Don Pardo. Good night. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going.